Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I am Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society, and this is the after show for Valley Trash, featuring my interview with its creator, Nikki Schwartz-Wright. Nikki is a trip. I mean, the real-life stories... Uh, behind this very autobiographical pilot are even wilder than the pilot. This is maybe the most violence-filled interview that we've done on the show. I would not mess with Nikki Schwartz Wright. Uh, she's got, I, I just, I loved her stories about getting hired on The Office in its last season when she had never really seen an episode. And she got hired on that show off of a pilot she wrote called Tripping Balls. That's a good story. Uh, you know, as she says in the interview, she likes to spin a tale. And she spins some good ones here. So hopefully you've listened to Valley Trash, which is a lot of fun. Uh, so now enjoy my interview with Nikki Schwartz right after a brief message. I'm Jesse Thorne. On the next Bullseye, our annual Halloween Spectacular. We'll interview Anna Fabrega from Los Espookies, Monet Exchange from Drag Race, and the great R.L. Stein, creator of Goosebumps. You know, I don't really get too deep into the real fears. It's a lot safer to do a dummy coming to life. That's on the next Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Thanks for doing this. It was really fun reading the script. I yeah. really... Thank you. I mean, I'm like, I hate Zoom table reads because I'm just not over the fact that like you can't hear laughing and stuff. So I was kind of like, I just let my soul leave my body. But <laughs> it, it was fun to hear. <laughs> I'm glad you finally got to hear it. Yes. After coming so, so, so close. So... You were talking about how this is pretty autobiographical. So let's get into that. You know, I feel like you can talk about your childhood at the same time we can talk about this pilot. So okay. tell me about like where you grew up and the whole thing. Uh, yeah, I grew up in uh, the Valley. Um, we grew up in Van Nuys until at some point in high school, uh, my dad struck it big and we moved to Encino. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I went just like in the show, I, um, I went to Harvard Westlake. My, my parents were very, um, eager that I, that I do that when I got in and I didn't really want to go, but they forced me to go. And we should say for people who are listening, who maybe aren't from Los Angeles, we could say that yeah. Harvard Westlake is, is what is it rated? Like the number one private yeah. high school in the country or something like that. It's usually That's, somewhere yeah. in the top five private high schools yeah. so yeah so just so people understand it's what an Harvard insane, like college prep very fancy uh yeah high school here in LA and you um, were coming from where like before you went to Harvard Westlake where were you just like this random school that was literally called the Valley School okay i never heard of in Van Nuys <laughs> Um, and I actually went in ninth grade, but the school starts in seventh grade. So it was like even worse of a time to be joining. Cause there was only like 20 new kids in the ninth grade or something. And everyone had already formed their cliques and, um, and most kids like matriculated together from like whatever chic 
you know, junior high or elementary school that they were at together. So, um, yeah, it was a little jarring for me. Um, and then, you know, just like in the show, uh, I started to get bullied by this girl. Um, and you know, I changed, <laughs> uh, for ABC, I changed some of the actual real life details. Um, you know, my dad didn't really give me the advice to take the high road. He, he gave me the advice to just kick the shit out of her. Um, <laughs> and is your dad from Texas? Yes. My dad is from Texas. He's from a small town in Texas. He is like a billboard type lawyer. Um, when he first, uh, his first job in California, he worked for the two, 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 two guy. Wow. Um, is, is that the accidentes guy or yeah. Okay. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's, that stuff was all, you know, pretty, pretty real. I mean, you know, it's a pilot, so everything gets, you know, exaggerated and stuff, but. So what was the actual bullying, bullying that, uh, went on? The actual bullying was just like, you know, she found me and she had accused me of calling her best friend a whore, something like that. And, um, and then like for a week, just everyone was coming up to me saying that she was going to kick my ass. And it was really scary. It was getting really scary. I was just, and uh, one night I was in my bedroom. My dad came in. He was like, what's going on? I was like, nothing's going on. I'm fine. He was like, bullshit. Normally you'd be watching 90210 right now. Like what's happening? And I just burst into tears and told him the whole thing. And, and in reality, what he said was, he was like, um, wow, baby, I thought you were going to tell me you had a real problem. And I was like, this is as real as it gets. <laughs> and he was like, no, 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 it's real simple. He was like, here's what you do. I've experienced a lot of bullies in my day. He's like, the next time this girl comes up to you, and I promise you, she will. Uh, I want you to ball up your fist and hit her in the face as hard as you can and keep hitting her until someone pulls you off. Um, and my mom, of course, was like, Andy, no, that's terrible <laughs> advice. And he was like, Linda, please let me handle this. Um, but I, of course, my dad uh, in the show, he does karate. And in real life, he did karate, too. But at this point, he was more into boxing. And um, and so I was like, Dad, I don't like know how to do that. Like you do, obviously. Um, and so for like three days after school, he met me at home at like two 30 or three and in the backyard, like fully, like taught me how to punch with like, with like, you know, the blue bags and everything. Right. And so I was just like walking around school, just so tight, like a clenched fist, just so like wound up and he, he was right. And it was like exactly a week after she had first come up to me, she waited until this, it was called a free period. All the kids, everyone, like hundreds of kids are sitting around outside. And she, um, I'll never forget what she said because it was, even at the time I remember thinking like, gosh, this is like a straight out of an eighties movie. She was like, hey, bitch, get it from the nerd herd. <laughs> um, and uh, and my friend Wendy Lee was like doing her math homework and she was whispering to me, just ignore her, just ignore her. But I like knew that was, this was like what my dad was talking about. So, so yeah, I got up and 
I just started hitting her in the face really, really hard. And I beat the fuck out of her. But in the show, um, you know, uh, one has to be more likable than one such as myself is in real life. Um, so I actually think it was Nanachka's, Nanachka's idea to come up with the punching of the mom, palm punching her mom. That did not happen. But that um, ended up being a really great and funny, surprising act break. So what happens in real life after you beat the shit out of this girl? So then we both got sent home. Uh, we were suspended for the rest of the day. My dad sadly was out of town. Um, and so the next morning we had to go in and sit down with the principal. It was me and my mom and this girl and her mom. And we got there and I'll never forget this girl's face was like, really fucked up like her eye was closed her lip was swollen it was all black and blue like only on one side of her face I guess I only hit one side um but my mom turned to me and she was like truly with like disturbed eyes was like you did this like she couldn't (laughs) believe it and we were very like prepared to be thrown out of the school like my dad was like the rich people like the rich people stay um but um twist the the principal pulled out this file and it turned out that since the beginning of seventh grade multiple girls had complained to the school about this girl bullying them and the school hadn't really done anything about it so um I had to write a letter to the school promising that I would never use violence again and that was it I got off the hook. This would never occur today in 2022. I'm sure I just yes. screwed up the wazoo or God only knows what thrown in jail. But um, but in 1997, um, this shit, you know, that's still flu. So and she she stayed, too. And you went through the rest of she high school together for the rest of the year. And then I'm pretty sure she got sent to like boarding school. Oh, wow. Yeah. She was a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> so okay um, so, so yeah so that i assume when you were pitching this pilot it was like this is so much real life stuff yeah. in this pilot that you were able to just do what we all dream about when we're pitching a pilot which is to say like this is really my story and all this you know I yeah, actually I totally i i pitched the beginning story and then um, I had already broken most of the pilot with Notch and um, and I and I pitched the whole story really like almost everything. I think the only thing that I didn't pitch in the room was like Jules's little B story with her boss. Um, but everything else I pitched like a one woman show style. It, it like we almost even ended up shooting at my old house in Van Nuys. But we ended, we were the location we ended up getting was like a few blocks away. But it was so crazy. Like we were getting all the like like the the car my dad drove, and um, it was going to be very um, as true to life as I could remember it. So. And that story, the the story with the dad with Cal in the in the show, that case and that whole thing. That was just fabricated. I mean, my dad right. did like do cases like that um but that one we just you know made up um he did he did a lot more like car accidents and stuff 
Um, and we thought that having him be like a quote unquote ambulance chaser wasn't <laughs> as likable as helping like a little hot dog stand man. So yeah, that stuff was made up. And I'm just curious, were they pushing you? I mean, the show is so much a family show and it's so much about Abby and the, the school. And, but then you do, you know, you, you have this other plot line of his legal case and that's sort of where you end. Was that something, was the balance of those two something that you chose or were they pushing you to like have more of the adult stuff um, in there? I did choose it, but there definitely were conversations around not wanting the show to feel too kiddie because so much of it did take place at the high school. Um, and even though we had pitched it like um, Roseanne meets Clueless, kind of. Um, so it was a concerted effort to try and keep some adult storylines in there, like Jules's and Cal's for sure. Because, you know, I think even even at the end of the day, even though we did have those other storylines, it did kind, it does kind of still feel young to me, which is fine. And I think that's just because the, you know, the main storyline is based around a 14 year old girl. So yeah, really no, it's just, I'm, I'm just asking cause I'm writing a pilot for ABC right now. And it's, just, it's so like, it's mostly like a family show and, and they're sort of asking for, can we have more, more of the adult <laughs> like storylines and, and hearing your pilot, I'm like, Oh, this is the same thing. Like this show, the the part when I was listening to your pilot, when I read it, like the Abbey store is the thing I, I hook into the most. It's what I care about the most. It's like, it doesn't make it feel like it's a kid show. It's about kids, but it's just like, that's what the show feels like. And then as I was, you know, hearing those scenes, I'm like, this feels like the network saying like, we're worried we have this four quadrant, whatever. And like, we need all these entry points for people of all ages. So could you make it like both a family, a high school show and a workplace comedy and all of these things. And I feel like sometimes like, I don't know why they think it has to be all of these things simultaneously in order for adults to want to watch it. Well, actually hearing you say that what, what it's, what I, what's coming to mind is I think what it really was, was they really wanted Cal to be the star of the show. <laughs> and so he needed to ha take up a lot of real estate, like, you know, and once we cast Jason Lee, it really did feel like, you know, he is a, is someone who need, you know, we wanted to give him a plenty hero of moments. Yeah. He needed yeah, like, exactly. where's the scene where he makes a big speech and has a big victory. And so it was in court. And so he needed to set that all up in a story. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. It was almost like I, I could just picture the entire development process of, of <laughs> your pilot. I like knew exactly where, you know, what notes you had gotten and what where it made you push in certain directions. And yeah, totally yeah. makes sense. So, okay. So let's back. So you go to Harvard Westlake, you make it through despite uh, ultra violence. And, <laughs> um, and then how do you get into writing TV? Um, I went to NYU. I went to Tisch uh, film school there, not for writing, just, uh, I think, you know, I just at the time wanted to produce. I just wanted to be involved in the movie business in some capacity. I wasn't really sure what. Um, and uh, and then I just had a really, really fucking fun four years in New York City. And like, <laughs> I don't even know what I did in film school. <laughs> I definitely learned more um, in high school than I did at NYU, like just like um, information wise. Um, but 
then after school, I just got this job in Brooklyn working for a production company, producing like music videos and commercials and stuff. And I was doing that for like three years. It was super fun. I was making at the time, like what felt like a lot of money and like, you know, drinking beers at work and playing ping pong. And it was that kind of like fun, but, I, but I wasn't, um, like feeling satisfied and uh, a friend of mine at the time was an assistant at NBC and she said that she they were making this show this pilot called Lipstick Jungle that was a Candace Bushnell show um, who created Sex and the City and then the showrunner needed um, an assistant and did, was I interested and it was like a ginormous uh, pay cut but it sounded really fun and so I went and I met this woman, her name's Robin Schiff, um, in the lobby of her hotel. And I was super, I remember like being very hungover for the <laughs> job interview. <laughs> um, and I showed up and her and I just clicked and she hired me on the spot. And so I started working for her and I had written this one pilot just like for fun and she read it and she really liked it. And so she basically kind of took me under her wing and um, kind of started to mentor me. And then when that show didn't go, she convinced me that if I wanted to do this and write for TV, I had to leave New York and move back to LA. And so at 25, I did, I moved back to LA and I moved back at, back home with my parents um, into my old room, my high school bedroom. And in uh, Encino. It was awful. <laughs> the only job I could get was working as an assistant at ICM, which was like, so not my jam. I had to wear like, you know, business attire stuff. And like, I didn't have any money to buy that shit. So my mom gave me all these like bags of her old, like Ann Taylor office manager clothes that I would wear. And it was like, I was so depressed. I would come home and drink like a bottle of wine. and like, spill it on my parents' couch and like flip the cushions. <laughs> like it was just a nightmare. Um, but eventually Robin ended up getting this show called 10 Things I Hate About You. And she called and rescued me. And so I went and I was the script coordinator on that show. And then I got a script and then I got staffed. Okay. Yeah, I know Robin. She's great. That's a that's a great story about someone just really, you know, she started your career it's like such a great 100%. thing to do for people um and then okay so you get the first job and often it feels like all right now i'm on the now i'm on the road and it's all smooth sailing how hard was it to get the second job after because 10 things i hate about you lasted what like how long well i worked on it for the second season and it was okay. its last season okay um and then i i really lucked out again i ended up staffing on this show called the hard times of rj burger which was an mtv show um and on on its second season which turned out to be its final season which maybe it had to do with me <laughs> now that i back on it i don't know um but uh yeah i i got that job and that job was really fun and and short it was you know i don't remember four months long or something um but I got to write two scripts because um, it was a pretty small staff. And then not long after that, the whole time I was there, I, I was writing this other pilot, um, just, you know, whatever, for fun. Um, and 
it was about my boyfriend who I was living with, who's now my husband, him and his buddy were growing mushrooms in our apartment to take to Burning Man to barter with. Um, and I just thought they were such idiots that I was like, there's no way this is going to work. And they had these huge tubs from Home Depot and um it was just I just thought it was so they were like these stoner idiots trying to grow like all these mushrooms and I was just making fun of them all the time but so I wrote a pilot called Tripping Balls based on them and that and um and my my agent Teresa at WME at the time submitted it to Greg Daniels and he loved it and ended up hiring me on the office oh yeah and that was what season of The Office? That was the final season of The Office. I okay, think so there's show definitely killer. a pattern. Yeah, okay. Show killer. Nikki show killer. Yeah, okay. Um. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there were any others after that. No, I've worked on other shows where like it was just one season and done, but I think that was the last one where multiple. <laughs> So what was that like, you know, coming in the last season of The Office? I mean, how many other new people were coming in in that final season? Uh, let's see. Uh, me and Graham Moore, who I love. Uh, I, think, I think that might have been it. Just two of us were new. Um, I was like, oh, and then one of the showrunners, Dan Sterling. It was his okay. time that year there as well pretty sure um you know, and were you I, a big fan of the show going no, in no, no. so <laughs> what's crazy is that i had actually met with greg that year he had a pilot called friday night dinner mm -hmm. um, for nbc and i met with him to write on that show and had a great meeting with him about that show and when i left my agent called me and was like you know, great, you know, you're getting an offer for that show. He's actually making you a very, you know, odd offer, a rare offer. It's basically, if that show doesn't get picked up for some reason, you're going to go on to the office. Wow. And I was scared because to be honest with you, I, I didn't really watch the office that much. And, um, and it was intimidating to think about going on that show. And my agents were like, dude, do not worry. There is no way NBC isn't picking up a Greg Daniels pilot. And then I get the call. Yeah, so you're starting on The Office in seven days. Um, and uh, yeah, and oh, Greg has requested that you have, of course, obviously seen every single episode. And there were like 180 episodes or something at that point. And so I watched 180 episodes in seven days. Jesus. And like my, but <laughs> now he was my fiance. I remember him being like seeing me on like day one on the couch and being like, this is amazing. This is everyone's dream. You're basically, your job is to watch TV. And then day four, I was like cracked out on the couch, like crumbs everywhere. Like, and he was like, this is hell. Like, oh my God. Like he was going out and like doing things with his life and he'd like come back and I'd still be there. Um, but I, but I did it. <laughs> uh, and how did that season go for you? It was fine. I mean, it like, obviously looking back, it wasn't, I, I, I was very nervous. I was just so nervous. I'd never sure. um, staffed on a network show 
uh, ever. And this was like the biggest network show. And, you know, everyone felt very smart to me. And like, there was a lot of Harvard people there and I have a really big chip on my shoulder about Harvard people. (laughs) And I just um, felt, I just was so wrapped up and I had so much anxiety and I was getting married that season. Uh, So I was also planning my wedding and worried about taking like the two days off that I needed to get married. And, um, but I ended up having a wonderful experience and I'm, you know, obviously so grateful for it and so grateful to Greg and, um, am still, you know, friends with a lot of the people on that staff. So it was great, but I would be lying if I said I wasn't shitting my pants almost every single day. Of course. Day. I mean, Jesus, that just seems so intimidating <laughs> to come in that late, you know, and I don't remember how many of those people had been there for, you know, since beginning or, you know, for years yeah. and years, but it's still just so, so hard. And also to come in when something like that is ending and just the emotion, you know, the emotional nature of the last season of a show for people that have been there for a long time. And you're just like yeah. fresh and new. And you yeah, know, that seems tough. I was like, should I pretend to be as sad? No. <laughs> no I hadn't even seen this show up until like yeah. a couple of months ago. <laughs> I, I had to like smoke a whole, you know, carton of cigarettes all at once, basically. Yeah. Um, okay. So and was Greg, I mean, I don't remember, you know, was he really running that show? But was Mike sure really running that show? How did it work? No, Mike wasn't really there. Greg was there and, and, and running it along with Brent Forrester and Dan Sterling. Oh, okay. Like the two number twos who were. Oh, right. So Mike had Parks, Parks and Rec at that point. Yes. And yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Greg, I've, you know, I I know him a bit. I've never worked with him. He's just one of those people that just seems like I would love to have had, you know, to have worked with him at some point because he's one of the people I just really admire. And it seems like you would learn a lot yeah. being in a room he's with a genius. him. I mean, everyone knows what a genius he is. And yeah, it was amazing just to get to see how his brain worked and see him work up close. It was, it was awesome. I felt so lucky and so petrified yeah (laughs) so then you go to the Goldbergs after that I went to the Goldbergs after that um yeah I was there for two years had a lot of fun um and yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and then I'm just looking through the grinder yeah um, went to the grinder uh the grinder was really fun another one and done it was a bummer because it I do think it came out really really funny um and then what was next speechless and how long were you at speechless two years okay I was there while I was under an overall deal um at 20th that's what it was um and then I ended up getting a deal at Universal and so I left um, and I went over to Universal and I uh, did my first multicam. I, I worked on this show called Abby's, um, which I loved. It was so much fun. Josh Melmoth created it. He's the best. He put together the best room. It was just a really fun group of people. It took place at a bar. And the different thing about this show was that the set was all outside um so Tuesday nights we were like outside on the universal lot making this show and 
it was just, I don't know. It was just really, really fun. And we, um, I don't know, we like drank because it was a place <laughs> the bar and everyone, it was just such a good vibe. And the cast was amazing. Natalie Morales was the lead. She's the best. And um, it was just great. And, but you know, it didn't get picked up. And then, and then the next year, I'm pretty sure was the year I sold Valley, Valley Trash. And I just developed because I don't think Universal didn't have that many shows that got picked up. And it was like one of those dream scenarios that you always hear about, like where you're under a deal, but don't have to staff and develop. Like somehow I just got to do my pilot. It was amazing. That, um, is, that is the dream. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun. And I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother, and Me? Was that your first time pitch? I mean, you mentioned you had written, you know, the Tripping Balls, but had, was this the first time that you were, like, pitching a pilot? No, or... it's the third. Valley okay. Trust is my third network sale. I okay. sold... Um, I had sold one under my deal at 20th and one, I guess, the previous year under my deal at Universal, I sold a multi-camp at NBC. Um, that was also kind of um, based on me, like a real thing that happened to me um, called Exes in Law. Um, and then Valley Trash was the first one that ever got a pilot pickup. And did that, so where did you pitch that to Nanashka Khan first or like how did Valley Trash, what was the path? Yeah. So my, the first, when I was under my deal at 20th, the first pilot I ever took out was with Notch and it was um, called Not Ready. And uh, I developed it with Notch and Fred Savage was uh, attached to direct from the beginning and I developed it with Fred. And so I had just had so much fun doing that with her that um that serendipitously I remember now what it was she had left her deal at 20th and was also at Universal so we were both at Universal under deals and so what I wanted to develop I just I didn't even go meet with anyone else I just went straight to Notch and she was down to do it so um because we had worked together you know well in the past so that that was cool um and yeah. And what was her, you know, can you describe kind of like her role in, you know, developing these pilots? And She is like, I'm developing one right now, uh, a pilot that I sold to ABC. And like every second of every day, I'm like, God, I miss Notch. Um, because <laughs> she is like a story fucking genius. She's so involved. It's not like, you know, some non-writing producer or whatever. Like she's an Anachka Khan. She's a, a, an amazing, brilliant writer. So, you know, 
she helped break the story. If I was ever stuck, you know, I could always just reach out to her. She was so helpful. She read every single draft of every single document and would pitch jokes and add things. And just, I mean, she just elevates everything. She's makes everything smarter and funnier. And so she was amazing to work with. I have, you know, I loved it. Um, and you pitched it everywhere to all, just to networks, I assume, it, Valley Trash. We went in one day, we pitched it. Yeah, we pitched it everywhere and we sold it in every room. Um, and it was like a really fun day. And I remember yeah. when we left, when we, and, and ABC, I think, was the one where we felt like was, you know, the one that we felt was the right home for it. And it was the last pitch of the day. And when they bought it in the room, it was like really exciting. We, we literally had sold it to all, all four places. Um, and, and we went with ABC and, but I don't know if, I mean, we were universal and now knowing what I know about like how the fucking finances work and all that shit, like, I don't know because I, I know that ABC like loved Valley Trash. And when it got shut down for the pandemic, there was all this weeks and weeks of waiting and, you know, which projects were going to get shot. And then ours was dead. And I mean, I don't think it could have helped that it's because it was not i know that seems like some second guessing that you should probably spare yourself from because yeah. i mean it's like you, you, if there wasn't a pandemic your pilot would have gotten shot and very you know could easily have gotten on like you, you made it through to getting you know the pilot was going to be made and so yeah they clearly liked the pilot and and then you know those decisions once no. covid hit are just so extraordinary and like that anything got made was you know crazy so True. i don't know everyone always when things don't go you're you're always want to like oh should we have you know when you if you had multiple options you're and the pilot doesn't get on and become a hit you're always gonna go like well should we've gone with nbc or should we like i know in this case i feel like you you, you made a very reasonable good call <laughs> yeah, yeah um yeah there's I, no way to have to have known yeah don't be and so was pitching because you know had you ever been a performer like had you done improv had you done theater any any of that no, i'm not no. a performer but i just i like to spin a tail and <laughs> usually i like to do it with a cocktail in my hand um so having to do it sober in front of a bunch of you know executives is nerve-wracking but I do enjoy it it is like fun in a scary way um so that part of it like of the job business whatever never like has been a problem for me um and how much like with this how much were you sort of telling the real life stories and how much were you sort of saying here's what this show is do you know what I mean? I, I feel like I, in the intro, like set it all up, like kind of with the story that I told you and then um, got into, um, you know, how I saw the show tonally and, and then described the characters. And by that point, they knew that each character was based on my real family. And, and when I got into pitching the story, they obviously knew like, that it was coming from a real place. So I didn't have, you know, 
not everything was, re, you know, it, it right. wasn't, they knew that it, it was coming from a place of um, reality. Right. Um, and that sounds like it's been all the shows you've pitched and sold. That's been true to, to an extent that these are. Yeah, not, yeah, totally. I always, I, I, I don't think I have that good of an imagination. I just, um, <laughs> I, I like, I take some, some morsel of something that has happened to me and then build out from it. Um, even in the show right now I'm doing for ABC that I just pitched them like a month ago. I just finished my outline 10 minutes ago and I, I like really wanted to save some of the characters from Valley Trash. Um, and was thinking, how can I like take them and, and put them into another show um, and so that's what I did. I figured out. And so even though this show isn't totally based on me, it is still kind of based on my family. Yeah. I, I read about, so tell us a little bit about the show. Cause I was curious it's, you know, in reading about it on deadline, I was like, Oh, this sounds like you found a way to kind of revisit yeah. and revive some of Valley trash a little bit. Yeah. So I live in Silver Lake and, you know, it's kind of like, a little shishi area of Silver Lake where, you know, everyone drives their, you know, electric cars and um, drinks their $16 matchas and stuff. And, um, and I love all my neighbors, but there's one house that is like, it's been, it's owned by this, this guy must've owned it since the formation of like the neighborhood of Silver Lake. It's so <laughs> old and he's clearly a hoarder like the front lawn is just like the shittiest fucking house. And the, the neighborhood gossip is always like, did he die yet? <laughs> you know, like kind of hoping and everyone's always talking about like what could be there and the people that could move in and what it would do to skyrocket our, you know, our property values and all that stuff. And I was just walking my dog when they were all kind of I joined in in the neighborhood goss, goss sash. And so when I was coming back home, I was just thinking like, it just struck me as funny to think how funny it would be if like my family moved it, like my dad. Cause like my dad would not really see what the problem with this house is. And, would, <laughs> and so um, I, I was like, well, it's kind of an updated, you know, um, Beverly Hillbillies. The idea being that if my, my dad and my family, but like when I was a kid, um were to inherit that house from an uncle um and you know they basically show up and um in their old rv and explain to the neighbors who are all kind of standing around wondering what's going on that they're moving in and the neighbors are like oh um okay uh well what do you think of the house you know and <laughs> the dad like takes a long look and you know it's dilapidated there's a dead tree there's like four old tubs in the front lawn he's like i think it's freaking awesome you know and <laughs> the neighbors all you know their hearts all collectively sink um so yeah so that's the show it's basically like roseanne if the family from roseanne were to move in next door to the families from modern family kind of Right. Um, and, you know, yeah, so I was just trying to find a way to save some of those characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you got so close with with Valley Trash. And I know. it really hurt. Uh, <laughs> that it, one it, really hurt. 
But it must have. I mean, so so that was the first Valley Trash was the first one where you were you were casting and scouting locations and hiring a director and all of that. Like, you know, how, how was that for you? Like doing that yeah. the first time? The best time of my entire life. Like, I try not to talk about it to my husband anymore because it's like pathetic. <laughs> it's like it's like you know. I don't know, like a high school football star reliving his glory days or something. But <laughs> like, I just was loving it. Like, it was the, it was amazing. We moved into um, our offices at Sunset Gower, and um, I got to hire my friend Julie as my assistant, and we got this amazing guy Chris Koch as our director. And once we had cast Jason Lee. Um, him and I just got along super well and he was super cool. And like him and my dad were going to go to breakfast literally the day after like the shutdown, they were scheduled mm. to go to Nat's early bite and Van Nuys because Jason wanted to like, you know, get his vibe. Um, and uh, Justin McEwen, who I had known through my husband, he came on board as supervising producer and like, I hired like one of my best friends, Sandra, as a costume designer. And so it was just such a fun team. Um, and, you know, it was fun to like recreate like we, all the high schools that we would go and see and, you know, get to like recreate my real, you know, experience. And we were going to shoot at Marymount um, and which like, for whatever reason struck me as funny because I remember when I was in high school like I just knew these like cool slutty girls that went to Marymount <laughs> um and just the whole experience was just it's like what you dream of you know it's what I wanted and it was it was a blast um so yeah it was it was sad and plus like even if you know, it would have been sad if it had been just some random idea or whatever, but since it was so personal, close yeah. to me, it was like extra crushing. <laughs> um, and then, but then of course I like wax on like this and it's like, well, the pandemic took my pilot. It's like, it, it killed millions of people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> sure. But it doesn't make it any less painful that it you know, it killed your pilot. And yeah, especially one that's like so personal and you're sort of casting your family members and you're scouting all your childhood memories to recreate yeah. them. Like that's, you know, it is any pilot dying hurts, but ones that are really your story, that's those are the ones that hurt the most. Totally. Um, but it sounds like you've now, you bounced back pretty well and uh you know, you've got another one and you did a show during like pivoting you did in in between yeah I did pivoting uh 2021 uh which was awesome um except be you know because of the pandemic the whole it was just a zoom room, zoom room. yeah so which, how was that doing a, a whole season in a zoom room like it's just you know zoom is awesome for stuff like this I think or like even I guess pitches I've come around on zoom pitches, um, anything where like, you don't really have to put on a bra and leave your house. Like that's <laughs> great. But like for a room when you're, you know, all day, every day, like it's just not for me. And I don't think, I don't know, maybe if it had been like a show 
that was in its third or fourth year and everyone already knows each other. I think that's would have made a huge difference, but a first year show where you're really trying to get to know a new staff on zoom, it's just, it's weird. It's awkward. Um, did you guys ever get together in person? Yeah, we, there was one week where we got together on the Warner brothers lot and we were in a room and we had our offices and it was awesome. And then we started on a Monday and then literally that Friday it was Delta. Like it's, it was like right when people started finding out that you could be vaccinated and still get COVID. Right. So we all got sent back home for the rest of the season. Um, and that was a bummer, but that said, Liz Astroff who created that show is the best, the funniest human and what she was able to achieve, like, under these conditions, especially in COVID was, I thought so admirable and amazing. And, um, and we, you know, had a lot of fun and I, I was able, luckily I was on set quite a bit in a fucking, you know, mask (laughs) for 12 hours a day, which is no fun. Um, but, but that was, that was a heartbreaker too. I'll say like, that was a great job. And I loved that cast and it really seemed like we were going to come back this year. Like we were told that, I mean, like I thought, like, I think we were on the schedule at one point. Um, and then, you know, there was some fight between, it was, I don't know, something to do with licensing fees. Deal, yeah. Deal making like studio network yeah. and I don't being know. able to, yeah. And it also seems like just everything now just gets canceled after a season or two seems to be the, the television industry new way of doing business. <laughs> just, what is it? Like, I don't get it. Like, just... it can't be profitable to make a show for one season and cancel it. Like why not make, I don't, yeah. I wish I understood the business a little bit better, which I should after so long, but it does seem like, I don't know. There, it's, it's one of those things where it feels like, is there some kind of like tax loss kind of, accounting thing that I'm not aware of where, where it's just works out for them to just like cancel things after yeah. that, that somehow makes them more money than making more shows. Cause it seems like nothing is getting a chance a anymore. Producers kind of scam or something yeah. where yeah, yeah. The bigger failure it is the more money they make. I, yeah. I don't know. My husband has some weird theory about it. Which I don't think makes something about like the executives he has some crazy like conspiracy theory that like if you if you cancel a show in the first season it somehow like saves executive salaries or something i don't know i have to even if you write quickly you're still not going to be able to do that because of how long everyone's going to take getting you notes on back and forth and you're never going to be able to do it so it's just going to be you're going to probably push to the next yeah um, yeah. where are you have you turned in well i've been like writing this pilot for a year like, you know, so, so I, I'm like now a, a second draft is in at the studio waiting for their couple notes. So the, so the second network draft will be going in. So we're kind of like on schedule for this, but only because I sold this pilot a year ago. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, wow. it, you know, and that is for Jordan, all this gets cut. Um, <laughs> but um but that's for a lot of reasons, some having a lot having to do with them, you know, taking a long, long time. And a lot of it just once I knew I wasn't getting it in for like the January pickups, all the sense of urgency like went away on everyone's part. So it's just yeah. but now it's kind of like 
okay, we're okay. now really well-timed for this October, you know, thing. Yeah. But still, it's just like, they still take forever on every step. So I'm like, come on, like we're, we can make this if you just give us our goddamn notes. So, but anyway, um, have you, okay, we're now we're back Jordan. Um, Have you, like, what do you think you now know going into this pilot you're doing now? Do you feel like there are things you learned from, from Valley Trash from getting as close as you, you, you know, you did with that one, you know, you've now, you've sold a few pilots, like, are there lessons that you can point out that you think you've, you've learned? Get a pickup. Well, no one can control that. Right. I mean, you know, that's all becomes essentially a lottery that you can have no control over, but just in terms of dealing with the process or, you know, or, or or just the writing or any of that. um, Um, I will. God, it's so hard because everyone's so different. So this will just be my personal therapy session, but um just only because my husband just like brought this up to, with me, which is like, I always am like, when I'm writing the outline, I'm like, this is terrible. This is not a show. <laughs> I've sold someone a bill of goods. It's not a show. They're going to find out very soon and I'll be exposed. And he was like, I really need you to start journaling because you have said this every single time you've ever sold a pilot and it always works out okay and so for this time I really am trying to take a little of that pressure off and just remind myself that like this is a this you know this this does happen every time and I have to imagine it happens to most people in the creative process where at some point you're just like all is lost this is terrible like you know, they're going to come to my house and arrest me. And, um, and this time I feel like I'm doing a better job of just accepting that and not letting it, you know, keep me up at night too much. So it has been more pleasant for me personally. Um, aside from like that kind of thing, um, which I guess just comes with having done it a few times and, you know, knowing that, it is a pattern. Um, well, I, I, I thank you for saying it because I feel like anyone who's been through this process, anyone listening who's pitched a pilot, like has had those exact feelings, you know. And yeah. and I think even if it's it's not some pitching and something, but someone's trying to write anything, and I think your point is just like, like you can't expect those feelings to go away, all you can do is try and recognize them and manage them a little bit better and go like, oh, right. Yeah. Those are the feelings I have at this stage and I'm going to have them and they don't actually mean anything. And I just, I keep going until I get to the parts of the writing process where things feel like something and an outline doesn't feel like anything, you know, it's just cause you still don't know if you're going to be able to write it. You don't know how the characters sound. And so Believe me, I've done this a lot more times. I feel that exact same way every single time. Like, oh God, I, why did I sell them this? It's not a thing. It's just, yeah. I made it sound like a thing, but it's not. And it's a horrible, horrible feeling. Horrible feeling. <laughs> and you, you'll you have it every time. Yeah. <laughs> so you have that to look forward to. Have to keep digging away and getting the dirt off of it. And then finally there's something there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I really uh, loved hearing it and I just feel for you so much that you got so close and uh, just rooting super hard that uh, this, this next one goes all the way. Me too. Well, I hope yours does as well. Maybe we'll be, you know, what did ABC pick up one show last year? Yeah. So we could fight it out for that yeah. one slot. Maybe there'll be two and it'll be both of us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for letting us do this, Nikki, and for talking thank with me. Thank you for choosing it. I'm very honored. This is such a cool podcast. And um, thank you for so many nice words about, about the pilot. That was awesome to hear. You're welcome. All right, cool. All right, cool. I hope you enjoyed that. I really love talking to Nikki. Uh, next month, we've got a really fun rom-com coming at you. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Findling. It is edited and mixed by Jordan Katz. Do you subscribe? I hope you do. Have you left us a review on Apple Podcasts? I hope you have. That helps people find us. Tell a friend about Dead Pilot Society. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilots Society. And until next time, I am Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.